Hello, everyone, and welcome to another great episode of the Joy of Financial Planning podcast. The topics of this podcast are a complement to the book, Joy of Financial Planning, available in stores including Barnes & Noble and Amazon.com. Joy of Financial Planning is about the belief that we can overcome the unique economic and life challenges we face as a generation by first getting our financial house in order. In fact, we have no other choice. Now more than ever, we must grow our wealth, follow our passions, live with compassion, and find a way to achieve a personalized version of the American dream. Just as it has been in prior generations, the ideal of the American dream is being challenged, not just because of the novel coronavirus pandemic, but because of the callous murder of a fellow black man, George Floyd, that we all got to see. The example of his abuse, and that of many others, cuts through the core of the American dreams I have believed in all of my life. I have a persistent belief that all are created equal, worthy of respect, deserving of opportunity, and the ideals of the American dream live inside all of us. I thank you for supporting dreams, your dreams, by listening to this podcast. The purpose of this content is to educate listeners and for them to inform others. This episode is part of a series of recorded Zoominars from my Jason Howell Company YouTube channel. That's where you'll find the video versions. In my business life, my wealth management firm collaborates with many experts. Together, we transform regular investors into patriarchs and matriarchs of their families and their communities. This episode features some of that expertise. Please send your feedback to jason at jasonhowell.com and give this episode a rating, especially on Apple Podcasts, if that's the kind of thing you do. For more about my unique brand of family wealth management, just go to jasonhowell.com. And now, planning and advocating for individuals with special needs with Eric Jorgensen of Special Needs Navigator and David Whiting of Oak Hill Law Group, PLLC. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Jason Howell Company Zoominar Speaker Series. Uh, we're happy to be here today. My name is Jason Howell, and this is one of our special episodes where we have more than one guest. In fact, we'll even have a cameo from Doug Tease, uh, my business partner, to come in and speak to this topic, which is all about both planning and advocating for individuals with special needs. Uh, this is an episode we did before, but we didn't press record, and so this time we're going to be sure to do that. And uh, before I totally get started, I'm going to let folks here who have been waiting to uh, to come on in. And uh, hopefully everyone's here for our wonderful events, and so we're, we're happy to have them join us. Before we get fully started, I want to check in with our esteemed panel and just see how they're doing today. And with that, I'm going to start with David Whiting. David. How was your day? I know you were putting out fires before we started. Uh, how's your day been? How is your day going to be later today? It's Well, it's all in a day's work, Jason, and thank you so much for having us on today. It's always a pleasure to see you. Um, if you've been watching the news recently, we had a big decision from Fairfax County last night in terms of uh, their distance learning plan. They've reversed themselves on their back to school plan. So if you're listening carefully, 
uh, to that tearing sound. That's the sound of the parents of 180,000 school children simultaneously pulling their hair out as they try and figure out childcare. So there's, there've been a lot of phone calls today, uh, but I think at the end of the day, it's good for families to have some certainty as to what the plan is going forward. Yeah, yeah, that was big news last night. Uh, I'm one of those parents of a Fairfax County kid. And um, I guess the good news from our end is we already chose virtual. We kind of figured that's where it was going to head. Um, must have been a very difficult decision for the superintendent and all those involved over these past couple of months. But I'm, I'm sort of heartened that, um, that we made the right decision. So, so I'll take that and run with it. Um, thanks, David. Eric, how has your day been so far? And have you been involved in any of this? Well, it's been good. I don't get too involved in the education side of it. In Maryland, I don't know if they've decide what they're going to do. I'm waiting to hear from my son's school. I think it might be like a hybrid model. Um, but no, life's been good. Got, sounds like we got a little bit of a thunderstorm, so my, my connection might be spotty, but everything's good on my end. Well, we're glad to have you. We're glad to have you both. And of course, a uh, special appearance by Mr. Douglas Tease. Doug, how are you so far today, sir? Doing very well. Been a productive day. No complaints. Kids are quiet. We're, we're on, on, on track. Doug and I live about five minutes apart, but we haven't actually hung out in a long time uh, because of everything going on. But we're, uh, we're very happy to be able to provide uh, this opportunity for all the listeners and all the people that will be watching later on. A special note, uh, these two are experts. They're also parents of uh, children with special needs. If you have questions, this is a great opportunity for you to ask them, especially if you've come in on the Zoom. So go into the chat, ask a question. We, of course, have prepared questions, but we'll get to your questions as well because you know those are the most important. You joined us and you deserve some answers. Uh, later on, of course, we'll, um, we'll have this recorded at this time and we'll be sending this out to folks who have registered and weren't able to make it on and even the people who did make it on and wanna go back over what they said. You'll have this recording uh, for yourselves, your families, and maybe clients and others who could use the information. With that, I'm gonna go ahead and switch to the uh, presentation part of the screen. And here we go. So if you came to planning and advocating for individuals with special needs, you came to the right presentation. We are happy to have David Whiting, an attorney, Eric Jorgensen, a special needs advocate and uh, analyst, and anything I wanna add on to that uh, special needs advisor, um, both of them here, and even as I mentioned, a cameo by Douglas Tease, my business partner who has some experience in this area as well. And while we're at it, why don't we go ahead and do a message from our sponsor. So Jason Howell Company is a family wealth management firm. We transform investors into patriarchs and matriarchs for their families and of course for their communities. We do this by equipping our clients with three tools. Number one, a financial roadmap. In that roadmap, we put about 40 to 60 recommendations about exactly what they should be doing with their finances. Number two, it's an implementation guide and it helps clients prioritize when to implement those 40 to 60 recommendations that we've given them. The third thing is a family constitution. Now this is an interesting document. It takes uh, issues and items from their past to feelings and values about their past around money, um, the present, and really what they want their legacy to be and puts them into family bylaws uh, for everyone in the family for now and going forward. It's really the why all this stuff is important. We call this process family governance and to learn more about family governance, just go to jasonhowell.com and search for family governance. Okay, and uh, I'd like to also bring in Doug Tease. 
Uh, Doug is um, my business partner, of course, certified financial planner, um, our top wealth advisor, a director of financial planning, and someone who actually has experience in special needs throughout his career, both as a volunteer and as a board member. So why don't you share some of that, Doug? Sure, sure. Um, coming out of college, I was a, uh, a psychology uh, undergrad, and my first job out of school was uh, at a group home for folks with uh, developmental disabilities. Um, I had a wonderful experience um, there and learned so much from, from the clients and their families, and, and uh, the experience there has stuck with me throughout my career. Um, after there, I went to, uh, uh, I followed my wife as she went on to grad school and took a role with a, an agency that supported people with uh, mental health issues. So I was a case manager there for a number of years as well. So that was kind of my foundation. I went on to, uh, to grad school and then to consulting and financial services and uh, made my way to, to the Jason Howe company uh, about three years ago. Um, but throughout my career, I, I stayed connected um, with with special needs. I served on boards uh, in Cincinnati, uh, where I lived uh, for for about ten years, and then uh, when I moved here to uh, to Northern Virginia, I serve on the board of. Feedback there, Doug. Hopefully, it'll clear. Okay. Uh, wow, that's that. You never know with our wonderful tech, um, but. Yeah, suffice it to say, Doug has some real experience in this area, which he's brought to the firm. Um, and we, you know, as we've grown the firm, we've really started to splinter into areas where we can be specialists. We're, um, we're glad to have uh, folks like Eric and David with us, in large part because we want to supplement our expertise with their expertise. And in particular, uh, as we move on to Eric here, um, Eric has been so great in introducing us to people that can surround uh, especially Doug with his background, um, our team with experienced professionals in the special needs area so that when we do engage families with this particular challenge, um, we can put them in the right spot, of course, financially, but also help them with other resources, um, whether it's actually getting a, a job for their kid or their adult child, um, whether it's a navigating the weird rules around Social Security, um, just things that you, you wouldn't typically run into and you certainly wouldn't typically get the information from a traditional financial advisor. Uh, Eric's been in this business a long time. He's got one of the designations that we have, a certified financial planner, um, also this uh, chartered special needs consultant. Um, a lot of school, a lot of education, master's in finance, MBA, uh, but most importantly, he's a parent of a special needs child and keeps a specialty uh, really in that teen area, teen to adult transition, which is so important um, when you are a family that is navigating around that area because there are decisions that you make then that will really carry for a long time. I'm most excited about Eric today and, and having to the opportunity to do this show again because he has now started his own firm uh, as Special Needs Navigator. Uh, Eric, why don't you tell us a little bit about this firm, because um, I, I can't wait to hear about what you're doing and what you're going to be doing. Thank you, Jason. But for those that have known me, uh, I'm, I, have, I have not changed what I'm doing. I'm still helping families navigate the maze of benefits, resources, and services. I broke off to create my own firm because I wanted to make it clear that I'm not tied to financial services. There was uh, some confusion that I was doing because I used to be a financial planner, hence my certified financial planner designation. Uh, and when I, when I left the financial planning world, it was very 
difficult for me to make that breakaway because I still fell under the umbrella of various financial firms as I, as I moved around. So when you go to Special Needs Navigator now and you actually look at the website, there's nothing in there in any way, form, or fashion tied to financial services. I want to make it clear that I'll be referring to people, referring my clients to companies like yours, Jason, so, so they can work and get the benefit of the experience that, uh, you know, that you and Doug have. And I really don't want to give financial advice anymore. I want to really focus on helping families understand the nuances that come with navigating all the services that they may or may not be eligible for. And just having frank conversations around things like at parent to parent, what does it mean to be a guardian? Parent to parent, what does it mean to do self-directed versus using an agency? You know, not the legal perspective, not the financial perspective, but more of the real talk that I, I that's the part that I, I enjoyed the most. No, well, that's great. It certainly um, makes it easier for us to work with you. And I think easier for so many different, either financial or legal professionals who want to work with you, but maybe have in the back of their mind, oh, I don't know, he's with a firm. Um, this makes it so much easier. I know you work on a consultant type basis, sort of a fixed fee basis for a lot of what you do, maybe some hourly, which also makes it easy for the families that really need your help to, uh, to come in and, and use your services. So thank you for being here. I'm looking forward to some of the answers to your questions. Uh, everyone, his email address is right here, uh, specialneedsnavigator.us, not .com, but .us. So feel free to send Eric an email um, during, after this event to connect with him and really learn from him. There's a lot there. And next, of course, we have David Whiting, who's had the Oak Hill Law Group for a good long time. Uh, he's known for a little while that he wanted to be an entrepreneur. So thank you for that, David. We love entrepreneurs around here. Uh, we especially appreciate someone who's got a Columbia Law degree and uh, had spent his early career in Silicon Valley and could have done a lot of things to make a lot of money and uh, just had a, a lot of a good life. Um, but instead of that, you came back to Virginia or came to Virginia, started this firm and really focused on advocating for families, uh, which is just terrific uh, during this time, um, not only during this pandemic time, but just all the time to advocate for families who need the expertise that you bring to the table, especially from a legal standpoint when they're running into challenges. And you've been working with FCPS, Fairfax County Public Schools. That's helpful. Um, one of the biggest school systems in the country. So whatever they do, a lot like where you were in California, kind of what happens in California ends up happening somewhat throughout the country. Uh, Fairfax County Schools is the tip of the spear when it comes to a lot of school systems. So your expertise there is gonna be helpful. Also Loudoun Schools, I know you do um, a lot of work with. So please give us an idea of the Oak Hill Law Group and, uh, and how you really make it right for families over the years. Well, thank you so much, Jason. And maybe if I'd been smarter about finding a financial advisor in my earlier days, I would have stuck <laughs> with the mergers and acquisition. Uh, but I found, you know, as I move through life and move through a career, marriage uh, happens, kids happen. Uh, and pretty early on, it became apparent that I was dealing with some special needs kids. And so that sort of causes one to stop and reconsider uh, one's sort of course of uh, one's plan for life. It changes everything overnight. It gives you a, a different set of priorities, different set of, of things that just have to be a certain way and the other pieces can fall around it. So I began to work more and more with families. I began to educate myself more and more about social and behavioral impacts of different mental health challenges and how that impacts one's career in an educational setting from 
preschool age all the way through uh, young adulthood. And so I've built this firm, the Oak Hill Law Group, and we do a number of things from family law to you know business law and, and other stuff. But what I really enjoy uh, working with are families who have kids with special needs. Maybe there are special circumstances in the family. Uh, maybe there are medical considerations, financial considerations. Uh, maybe the, one of the, the parents is an entrepreneur. How do we make sure the needs of the children are addressed in a both parental, uh, a strategic, and even a legal uh, framework? So I try to really work with families where I can leverage my expertise and experience with the special needs universe uh, and, and attempt to create a holistic uh, representation for people of multiple needs. Thank you for that, David. And I noticed, uh, you know, I noticed this before, both you and Eric are involved in one way or another with the ARC. Um, you're the ARC of Loudoun, I think. Um, what was the one for um, Eric? Um, yeah, ARC Montgomery County. Uh, David, maybe you could just kick us off and, and give us an idea of the ARC and how it's a resource for families. Well, the Arc of Loudoun, it's, it's essentially a subsidiary of a national arc. Uh, but what that organization does is provide education, support, resources, uh, in some cases therapy, even physical therapy, for people with special needs. Uh, it's, it sort of prides itself in being a clearinghouse of information. If you are a parent, you have a young child with special needs, you're not yet sure what's involved in advocating for this child as he or she goes through the school system. You're not sure what the financial impact of special needs are in terms of planning. And that's an area where, of course, Eric has expertise. You may need specialized preschool. You may need specialized, uh, you know, occupational therapy as the child ages. The ARC advises, guides, families, and even provide some of those services. Uh, in certain cases, if the public school system, for instance, is unable to facilitate someone's education, the Ark of Loudoun steps up to the plate. Uh, it's a wonderful organization, and I would encourage everyone to educate themselves uh, more about the Ark, both in Montgomery County and of Loudoun, because the work is critically important for some of our most vulnerable friends and neighbors. Thank you for that, David. As we can see, we have David's contact information here as well, um, David at OakHillLawGroup.com. We also have his phone number. Uh, David can be reached either way. I know that Eric prefers email, so that's why we highlighted his email address and not his mysterious phone number. Um, but here you got David. You can get him on the horn or you can get him via email. All right. All right. Terrific. Well, now we'll move over to our questions. Again, if you have questions about anything in the area of special needs, especially when it becomes uh, something about advocating for either a child or an adult, uh, for your family, for a client, for someone that you know, just put that in the chat and I'll get to that question before our time is up or before the storm ends our, our Zoominar here before we'd like it. Uh, but the very first question uh, you know, we have here is essentially how you define special needs. And, and Eric, we'll start with you. How do you define that term? Sure, Jason. So the way I define special needs is I think of it in terms of when a person has a physical, intellectual, or emotional disability, something that is uh, challenging and requires additional supports for them to live their life with. You know, and typically it's diagnosed at an early age, but it could, it could be the result of a car accident or medical malpractice or something similar. But that's, that's in a nutshell the way I take the big all-encompassing special needs and just, you know, that's the umbrella that I'm considering it under would be emotional, physical, 
or an intellectual or developmental disability. Okay, yeah, terrific. And David, I imagine you'd agree with that. I've heard the the word, both Doug and I have heard this word used a little bit more recently, like neurodiversity. Do you, do you couch that in there with the explanation that um, Eric gave as well? I think that's, that's a valuable word. I mean, I, I agree with everything that Eric just said. I do like the neurodiversity uh, name as well because it, it implies that there may be benefits. Um, so, you know, special needs are obviously challenges that, that families and individuals face but they also can be looked at as an opportunity. And this is relevant in an advocacy setting. You know, if I'm working with the school trying to explain why it's so important that we help this child. Well, the reason is because if you think of the arc of outcomes of any child, like a, a piece of pie, for a child with special needs, that arc is often much broader than it is for a neurotypical uh, child. If you apply the appropriate scaffolding, the appropriate interventions and tools to allow a child with special needs to access his or her education fully, then the range of outcomes can, you know, be at something as, as esoteric as coding for Google, as opposed to a child who without that scaffolding would wind up busting tables or doing something that, that does not draw on expertise and potential that is out there. Autistic children particularly have a different way of thinking that is becoming increasingly recognized as valuable in all sorts of technological companies, especially with regard to coding. Uh, it's, it's a really wonderful resource that the world needs. And so I look at, I like the neurodiversity term and I like considering special needs as both the challenge that needs to be supported, but also an opportunity where if we apply energy, financial resources, other resources now, we can create a, a wonderful investment return for all of us. Great. No, thank you. That's that's a great description and great you know great metaphor. Physical metaphors used to describe that makes it so much easier uh, to kind of get into. Well, Eric, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump to you on this question because I think it's it's really your specialty. It gets confusing about when a family or a client who has uh, this challenge and opportunity should start looking at benefits. Is this something that you should wait for at a certain age, or something you should start investigating pretty early on? So when we talk about benefits, there's a couple different types. You have the state benefits, which are going to be your state Medicaid waivers and Section 8 and SNAP, which is uh, food stamps. Those are going to be your state benefits. And you have your federal benefits that are going to be, you know, Social Security, which will be SSI or, you know, um, any other federal programs that you may be eligible for. So when I'm talking to families, it depends on the age of their child. I really want them to apply for at least the state's Medicaid waiver whenever they get the diagnosis. So if you get a diagnosis that your child has a developmental disability, be it autism or cerebral palsy or a chromosomal disorder, if you get that diagnosis at four or five, go ahead and start looking at your state's waiver system to get enrolled. The longer you wait, the harder it's going to be to the harder it may be, let me, let me clarify, it may be more difficult to prove that your child needs those supports. As parents, when we, when we make an application for something and somebody comes to talk to us about what our child's capabilities are, we tend to look at those in the best possible light and we try to paint a very colorful picture and supportive picture of what our child can, can do. And when you're, when you're applying for benefits like the state Medicaid waivers, you don't want to do that. You want to picture if you're not there and if you can't do, if you can't do what you're doing to currently support your child, how would they, how would they be able to function? And it's easier to imagine that if you have a young child, four or five, 
because I don't think anybody is going to expect a four or five year old to be able to live on their own. It can be a lot more challenging if you're playing a 17 or 18 to look at your child and see them as completely dependent on you. Because sometimes you may not even think anymore about what you're doing for them because it's just become second nature. You've been doing it for so long. So I really encourage people to apply for benefits as soon as they get the diagnosis. As soon as you get the diagnosis. Okay. Heard it here first. Um, I want to skip the, the next question and, and kind of go to the, the one after that uh, and really hear about how this pandemic, because it's raging again, we kind of touched on it at the top about the school's closing. How is this affecting your practices, you know, both you, Eric and David, and, um, and we can start with David since he's popped up on my screen. How is this affecting your practice, the, the volatility about what we do in the fall? Well, it, it affects everything and everyone is stressed out right now. Parents are stressed, schools are stressed, administration are, are running around, it, you know, at high speed trying to figure out the safest, most effective way to deliver education to our kids. Um, and essentially, all this is happening in an extremely short period of time. You know, telecommunications has been around forever, teleconferencing, but we haven't seen that applied to children. We've seen it in college, and it's working its way through. But this is the first time, you know, we've got first graders now who are using Zoom or equivalents to handle their schooling. It, it changes everything. With, res, with regard to special needs particularly, it changes the way in which support services are or can be delivered to our students. So for instance, let's say you, know, you have a child, a third grader with, with difficulty speaking or enunciating clearly due to, due to a physical challenge. How do you apply speech therapy to that child? Do you do that through Zoom? Normally the child would meet with a, with a speech professional in the schools once or twice a week. How do we provide that? How do we ensure that children with special needs continue to receive the scaffolding and resources needed? You know, if you listen to the, to the politics of it and follow the Department of Education, you see that there have been a number of waivers considered. Uh, it's been discussed by Betsy DeVos on a number of occasions whereby special need accommodations would be essentially paused, put on, on, on pause until the pandemic is over, whatever date that is, or until they're, they're uh, restarted that would be highly detrimental to, to children. If you had, for instance, you know, the speech therapy child, or let's say you've got a child with severe anxiety that's triggered by exposure to online material, that child's supposed to access his or her education through Zoom now, that doesn't work. We have to make sure that even in light of the logistical hurdles that schools have, which are understandable and reasonable, we still provide necessary supports. And importantly, we need to ensure that parents are included in those conversations. Everyone is busy. Parents are trying to figure out how to handle child raising along with virtual working. Schools are re, you know, essentially redesigning the wheel. You know, everything is new now. So all the teachers are going at full speed designing curriculum. Administrators are considering all the safety aspects. Special needs children can sometimes get lost in the lurch there. Uh, it's, it's a matter of resources, it, both financial and time. And so everyone needs to re remember that this is a, a collaborative conversation and that we all benefit. If schools have the appropriate scaffolds, the children perform better, it makes the teacher easier. So by expending a little energy up front to figure out what's needed and what the plan is going forward, we benefit everyone, the child, the schools, and the families. Thanks, David. And uh, Eric, I know your business is new, but your practice is, is years old, maybe even a couple decades old. How do you navigate uh, this one, to use the, the name in your new business, 
how do you navigate this as a parent uh, going through a time that's just so much uncertainty? So, Jason, from my from my point of view, uh, there there have been some advantages to the pandemic in the sense that the Social Security Administration has paused um, canceling cancel. Typically, what happens is if you have too much money in your account, they will stop paying you. They will you know they will stop your Social Security. Right now, because of everything that's going on with the pandemic, they're they're being a little more forgiving with how much you have in your account. They're not they're not pausing people's social security because they recognize how much of an impact that could have on your your circumstances. Um, that's not to say that when all this is over, you may you you it's very likely you're going to go a couple months without a check or a very reduced check as they catch up to you. Um, the other challenge is people that are doing supports that maybe their child is aged out of school and now they're receiving supports from the state. Well, things like day programs and uh, vocational, their children don't have those programs anymore because they can't go anywhere. And the agencies are struggling with funding for the residential because now these, these children are staying home longer. The residential facilities are doing a, you know, they're, they're working the best they can with the, the Medicaid providers in Maryland, it's DDA in Virginia, I think it's DDS, but these, these agencies and the, the state agencies are trying to figure out how they're going to make this billing work because you can't have people at meaningful day programs and at vocational services. Everybody's stuck at home, especially when if you're in a, in a state where you're living and everything's being on lockdown, like Maryland was at the beginning of this. I think Virginia was similar where they implemented a lockdown. So that's where it's getting challenging for the families I'm working with is, what does this mean to our services? How do we, if we're doing self-directed, how do we plan for the budget? If we're working with an agency, what does that mean for the agency staff? Are my children at more risk? Because are the agency staff working with several different agencies coming in and out of several different homes? and exposing my child to something that they picked up in a different home. Wow. And, and Eric, you mentioned Social Security benefits at the top of, of your, uh, what you shared just now, and there are a couple questions here on that. Maybe you could go ahead and touch on some of those benefits because they, they can get lost in the shuffle and the detail is always so hard to kind of figure out if you're new to it. Tell us about earned income exclusion. Tell us about disabled child benefit. So the, the student earned income exclusion is if you, have, if you have a child who's working and they're still in school, it could be college, it could be high school, then the Social Security ignores about $7,000 a year. That it, Typically, it'll reduce, SSI will reduce by $1 for every $2 that you earn. I mean, there's some, there's some calculations that go in there, so it's not exact science, but you can plan that if your child's working, they're gonna, their income's going to be their income is going to reduce their SSI benefit by $1 for every $2 that they earn. Well, if they're working and they're a student, they can earn up to seven, a little over $7,000 a year before that kicks in. I mean, that's a very significant chunk of money, especially when you figure you can put in more than, if you have an ABLE account, you can put in more than your $15,000 normal contribution if you're working. So let's say somebody's working, they make $7,000, they, they're collecting SSI, they can take that $7,000, put it into their ABLE account and still have the full $15,000 benefit available to them for everybody else to contribute, 
and they're still going to receive their full $783 of SSI. So that's the student earned income exclusion. There's a lot of good reasons. I mean, that's just one example of why I love the idea of having your students start working, even in getting involved in the pre-employment transition services, which is in every state. You do that through your vocational rehab, whichever department is running your vocational rehab. And then they'll help you get a job up and, and you can get those services till age 21. Um, so that's, that's the earned income exclusion. The adult disabled child benefit is a child who qualifies for social security SSI and is found to be permanently disabled before the age of 22, meeting social security's definition of disability, becomes eligible to receive social security from their parents' benefit when the parent becomes disabled, retires, or dies. So if a parent becomes disabled or retires, the child's SSI will change to 50% of the parent's benefit. So my son is currently receiving SSDI because I'm widowed, my wife, so he's receiving SSDI from my wife's benefit. She, not much because she was a stay-at-home mom. He's also receiving SSI. And because he's receiving SSDI in the form of the Disabled Adult Child Benefit, he's, he's receiving Medicare and he's receiving Medicaid because he's, he's eligible for SSI. So in addition to, and this is not something that's only, you know, really rare. I mean, this is something that if you have a child with significant disabilities, they could really, they, they could qualify for. And if you're a veteran like I am, your child could also qualify for life insurance or for health insurance the rest of their life. Or if you're a federal employee, you could qualify for health. Your child could qualify for health insurance. So now your child has Medicaid, Medicare, SSI, SSDI, and your health insurance. And the, the, the key to this is getting enrolled and making sure that your HR knows what's going on, making sure that you've gotten your paperwork submitted. You don't have to wait till the child graduates high school. You know, as soon as the, the month the child turns 18, you can submit the, you can submit for SSI and it's all gonna be based on their income and their, and their asset level, as long as you have less than $2,000 to their name and assets. Well, yeah, so there's a lot there and, and I expect there to be a lot whenever you or David speaks. Um, I, I really picked up on that idea if you're a federal employee or a veteran of which we have many in this area, Washington, D.C. area, that there are other benefits to ensure that you're picking up on. And, you know, to me, that seems to be the greatest benefit between the two of you is you just you can't know all this as a parent who is a you know, government contractor or a federal employee or or veteran or, you know, an accountant. It's just hard to know all of this and using each of you as a resource is helpful. Um, thank you for that, Derek, uh, Eric. David, I was thinking of you because I, I want to go to you on the question of the educational advocacy, which may be really uh, prominent this fall. And I certainly will let that be the capstone question before we lose power. <laughs> um, <laughs> give us an idea of what is educational advocacy, how people can use a lawyer like you to ensure that their kids are getting what they need during a crisis like this, like we're facing this fall, and just generically when things are you know, going pretty well. Sure, and thank you for the question, Jason. Uh, if it's okay with you, I'd like to just add a couple of words onto what Eric just discussed because yeah. 
he did a, a really fantastic job explaining sort of the spider web of benefits that are or may be available to families uh, during the life of the child. Um, one of the aspects that's really critical to planning, and this is where you want to speak with your financial planners, your special needs navigators, and your attorneys, is what happens after the parent is no longer here. Um, what sort of estate planning considerations go into place when you have a child with special needs? Because Eric just listed three or four different potential revenue streams, which are of critical importance to someone who may not be able to earn a sufficient living uh, to have a comfortable outcome otherwise. It is very easy in your estate planning, if you don't have a will at all, or if you have one that doesn't take these things into consideration, to leave money to special needs children in a way that causes them to essentially disqualify themselves from those benefit streams that Eric just discussed. And so part of the conversation in planning, and this is why Eric and I, I, I think we have so much good synergy between us and, and you guys as well, Jason and Doug, if in, as a component of your financial planning, you consider the estate plan and look at a special needs trust, which, is, which has to be drafted in very particular ways, you can protect that child in assuring that the revenue which may go to him through the estate plan will not disqualify him or her from benefits. You can, there are things you can do. It's an important conversation. And so I would encourage any parents out there who have special needs children to, to speak with all of the folks on this call. Uh, go see Jason or Doug, go see Eric and come to Oak Hill Law Group and let's talk about a special needs trust and see if that might be something that fits your situation. Um, as far as educational advocacy, imagine you've got a, a young child with Down syndrome uh, and there are concerns in how the school is providing education to this child. You may have issues with the bus ride home. It may be much too long. Maybe they've changed the route. Maybe there are disruptive kids. Maybe there are bullying issues. Maybe your child needs an aid to get through the day. You have any number of things that might help your child access what's called a free and appropriate public education. That is only awarded, not, you know, it's not just a guarantee. You walk into the school and you get everything you want. It's a negotiation process. And that process can be fraught at times. You have the parents on one side of the table. You have six, eight, ten sometimes school administration or teachers on the other side of the table. It can be a very daunting and confusing process for families because just as there's a spider web of rules for benefit streams for special needs kids, there's, there is also a spider web in terms of what's required to demonstrate a need for an accommodation. It's very easy for parents to get overwhelmed there. And so in those cases, there can be tremendous value in calling an advocate, whether it's you know, me at Oak Hill or any of the outstanding advocates in the area. Sometimes it essentially it evens the odds. It allows parents to understand better what the legal framework is, what is and isn't possible. How are these things achieved? How do we secure enforcement of whatever scaffolding we put into place? If the school isn't doing their job, uh, we need to figure out how we're going to call them to task in ideally a collaborative way. And this is an area where some advocates, I feel, go off, off the right path by making things too confrontational. There's always a time and place for that. But I think about it in this way. You can have the very best IEP plan in the universe, but if the teachers don't like the parents because the, the conversations are too hard, 
um, that IEP is not going to be implemented with fidelity. And so you always want to strive for a collaborative solution. Advocates are good because, as you can imagine, any, any of us who are parents, we feel very emotionally invested in kids. I would say that perhaps special needs parents have an extra layer of emotional investment because things are just so hard and they're trying to make everything work out. And so that emotion can be counterproductive. It's essentially acting as a buffer between the parents and the school, but squarely on the side of the parents to ensure that this child gets the accommodations he or she, he or she needs. That's really the role of an advocate. Oh, thank you for that. And, and we'll let that be the, the last sort of question and answer as we, um, as we navigate this thunderstorm. Um, and I'm going to stop the share. So everyone prepare for big faces as I, as I stop the share here. I did see a, a potential question come through the chat. So let me take a look at that. I'm going to go ahead and read this out loud while we have both of you here and, and we still have power. Um, my grandson, who will be a second grader this fall, was receiving supports through an aid in speech therapy and was doing fairly well. What advocacy, if any, can be done since PG will be doing distance learning? Is there any advocacy uh, or possible to support um, to have from him as an aid or virtual learning um, and that difficulty associated with that? Um, I'll let you go for that one, David. Sure, and, and thank you for the question. It's a good one, and I'm hearing variants of this all the time. How do we as parents secure accommodations in a distance learning environment? Ultimately, it comes down to a reasonableness test. You know, if you have some sort of arbiter looking at this, at this question, do I get accommodation X or not? The school has to show good reasons why it may be difficult. The parents have to show good reasons why it may be necessary. How does it change with the distance learning environment? Well, legally, it doesn't change. All, st all students are legally entitled to a free and appropriate public education. And if you have a disability that, that would cause your education to become inappropriate, if it's not sufficiently meeting your needs, you have a right to address that. However, that can be a challenge in a distance environment. And so what it really entails is I think advocacy has an increased role here. Uh, contrary to, to what some are, are, are saying, I think this is where you need someone in the middle to work out a reasonable solution. Can that therapy, can that service be provided virtually? Can you have uh, an aide or a, a teacher's assistant calling in to the child you know, on a periodic basis to help that person with organization, executive function, attentional issues, anxiety issues? There are ways to do it. It requires some creative thinking in a challenging time, but this is precisely where those conversations have to have and why they're so important because this is a whole new sort of uh, normal for all of us. David, with that, why don't you um, help to close us out? And I'll ask Eric the same question. One thing that we can take away as we look towards the fall and, and again, the volatility, the sort of erratic um, decision-making, which to some degree is expected. We've just not faced this kind of a thing in a hundred years. How do we be good advocates for ourselves? Just one thing we should take away. I think uh, in terms of ourselves as parents, it's important to remember that we're all in this together. And it sounds cliche, but what I've found through my experience as a special needs parent is that it's a very isolating, it's a very isolating event in life. Your child can be the one without the friends, without the playdate invites, with the extra complications of medical challenges and emotional challenges. These things are hard to talk about. And so I love doing these sorts of conversations because I think it increases the prevalence of this, this narrative in the community where more and more people become aware that these issues are out there, whether they impact your family or not. 
your friends and neighbors are going through these challenges as parents. And so this is where we need to support each other, be understanding. And the more we have these sorts of conversations, the more Eric gets his messaging of what you know financial steps are out there that are available to families, what those challenges are, the more parents understand what the educational challenges are in terms of, of negotiating with schools. This really helps us all sort of lift up those families who need the most help. They're very important conversations. So thank you for having us today, Jason. Yeah, thank you, David. And, and Eric, David raised a really interesting point that made me think of, you know, how can we, whether we being financial advisors, whether we being attorneys, whether we being parents trying to advocate for a kid, how can we be allies for the special needs community this fall? So. I think, Jason, the, the best way to be an ally is remember that we're, you know, and I'm paraphrasing what David said, but we're all in this together. We all, we're all in the same storm. We're just in different boats. I don't know who said that, but it really resonated with me. Um, earlier this year, I, I beat cancer and it put a lot of things in perspective for me. You know, at the end of the day, yeah, the school and all this with the pandemic is, it's going to suck right now, but this is a short-term suck. We, we shouldn't be making a long-term decision, you know, for a short-term problem. And if we can just keep that perspective, that when we're making these decisions, let's start thinking, okay, you know, yes, this is, this is a really sharp pain and it's really right here in our face right now, but is it gonna have, is it gonna be as impactful over the long-term as we're letting ourselves think it is? And sometimes the answer is gonna be no. And we just need to back off on it and get and not let it run our blood pressure way up. Um, you know, it, that's just my take, though. I mean, sure. I mean, it's fair. This is a short-term suck, Dave. Uh, Doug, what do you think? <laughs> Should we go with that? Uh, any final? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> you're you're still on crazy radio waves there, so. <laughs> I gotta shut you out again, darn it. Um, well, listen, this has been, uh, as I expected, it would be terrific. Uh, Eric Jorgensen, special needs navigator, uh, .us uh, to look him up. Uh, David Whiting, attorney with the Oak Hill Law Group. Um, and that's pretty easy to find online. Both of you gentlemen, thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing your expertise. Um, I look forward to connecting with you in the near future. You build a great team of folks around people like Doug to uh, really offer the families that need the help, the help. And so thank you both for being on today.